All right, what uh, I'd like to get started talking about this afternoon is how sometimes for something to be successful, sometimes for something to materialize like we hope, we need a restart or a reset or a new beginning. And I'd like to give a couple quick examples of that. There's a tradition dating back centuries if you want to rename or rechristen a boat. Uh, you have to have a brief ceremony where you uh, come up with a new name and break a bottle of champagne across the bow. Let's say, for example, you buy a used boat and it's named something like the Biracuda. You can't really take your grandkids fishing on that. You can't really have your church group over for a picnic, right? So you, you smash champagne over the front and you name it something corny like the companionship or something that's a little bit more church-friendly, right? But sometimes you need a new name for something in order for it to be more suitable for the intended purpose. How about in marriage? I think there's an important reason why most wedding ceremonies end with the presentation of the couple. And the officiant says, and now I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Whoever. Uh, and for those uh, of us who are married, we understand that, that sometimes you think the best way to do something is the way that your family of origin did it growing up, and sometimes your spouse thinks the best way to do something is the way their family of origin did it growing up, and then you remember that you have that new name, you're a new family, a new couple, a new entity, and you're going to have to charter a new way to do that together. Here's a final example of something that to be successful sometimes needs a restart or a reset or a new beginning. Uh, there's a picture up here of a band called the Bee Gees. Now, they're a good, a good pop band from the 70s. Uh, what some people don't know is that the original, the original name of the Bee Gees was the Rattlesnakes. I want you to imagine for a second, it's the early 70s. You're in a biker gang, you're wearing leather, you're smoking something, and you're like, hey, you want to go to a concert? Yeah. Who's playing? I saw there's some band called the Rattlesnakes downtown. Oh yeah, let's go see them. And you rev up your bikes and you go in and you see these guys. And I think that would be frustrating for all parties involved, right? So they came up with the name the Bee Gees. I don't know what that means. It's friendly, it's cartoony. And uh, they were incredibly successful with that new name. In all these examples, a new beginning or a reset is important in establishing success. And this is my introduction to the concept of baptism. Uh, I think the number one reason why the Bible wants us to be baptized is so we can comprehend the importance of having an official new beginning in our relationship with God. Amen. All through the New Testament, baptism includes the words repent and believe. So baptism is a symbol to the watching world that our repentance and our belief has brought about a new start in our relationship with God. So for the next three weeks, I want to preach three different passages in the Bible that I think lay out the benefits of baptism, this Christian ceremony of submerging ourselves in the water and then re-emerging as an enthusiastic follower of Jesus Christ. It's mostly symbolic, but as we've established in the intro, there's a great significance and importance to a new beginning when establishing a successful, healthy identity. So I hope you guys got a bulletin when you walked in. I just want to spend the next 20 minutes working through a two-part outline. I'd like to spend just four or five minutes uh, in section one talking about what I call the New Testament's expectation of baptism. We probably have people here today that have never been baptized, and they just don't necessarily consider it an essential component of their spirituality. 
That's fine. I'm certainly not going to twist anybody's arms. not going to dunk anybody. Uh, but I want you to know that the expectation in the New Testament is that followers of Jesus get that new start, that reset, and that baptism. I'm just going to share a couple verses that show that. And then I'd like to focus the final 15 minutes on section 2, which I call the encouragement of baptism. And whether you've been baptized, that would be encouraging. If you have not been baptized, just the idea of what baptism represents and how God wants you to think about that fresh start, I believe will be encouraging to you. Let's get started with uh, section 1. And I just want to show you a couple quick verses that basically everybody in the New Testament launching this new thing called the church, the Christian church, just sort of assumed that followers of Jesus would be baptized. The book of Acts includes some of those first stories. Listen to what it says in Acts 8, 12 to 13. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Another example a little bit later, Acts 18, verse 8 says this. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. All right, so Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke clearly has this expectation that followers of Jesus get baptized. What about Paul? Paul wrote the majority of, well, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 to 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Peter is another uh, prominent figure in the New Testament. You can read 1 Peter 3, 21, uh, where he uh, also acknowledges that sort of expectation of baptism. And uh, there's another prominent figure in the New Testament who expects baptism, and that's Jesus. Listen to what it says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Then Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, that wraps up section one. I told you it would be quick, and I, I don't want to teach those verses. I just want to introduce that idea that in the Bible, it's expected that serious followers of Jesus Christ are baptized. And uh, here in section two, I just want to highlight what I think are three encouraging reasons of what baptism does for us to help us understand that reset and those things that God wants to be true of us. I think where a lot of baptism sermon series fall short is that the main idea of most baptism sermons is get baptized. And probably at any given time, 60 or 70% of the people in the church have already been baptized. Probably 30% have no interest whatsoever so that makes like a very narrow target group. Whether you've been baptized or not, whether you're thinking about it or not, I think there's at least three things that we can take from Romans 6, 1 through 4, that are encouraging for us as to how God wants to think about our relationship with him. All right, the first encouragement of baptism. Well, let's just read the passage first. Our, our, our main passage I want to focus on here is Romans 6, 1 to 4, and it says, What shall we say then? Paul is using baptism as an example to teach a greater uh, point. He says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace would increase? By no means. 
we are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, Paul is explaining something about baptism, and through that explanation, we can take at least three encouraging things that are true for us as we follow God. The first one is this. One of the reasons we're supposed to get baptized is it's a reminder that the authority of and our loyalty to our old, regrettable behaviors and impulses are dead. Do you get that part about how, how the baptism that, that is being talked about here is baptism by immersion? And other traditions baptize in other ways. But it appears that the way that the early church baptized people was to dunk them under the water and then bring them back out of the water. And Paul is explaining that, that, that they're not trying to have all these different methods of baptism so churches in 2,000 years could split and argue. He's saying it's a picture that we are, just like Jesus died and rose from the dead, a Christian who is baptized is symbolizing and acknowledging to the world that through Christ they also are dead to the old way of living and thinking and behaving and now rise up with Christ in a new way of living, thinking, and behaving. Paul writes, we're buried with Jesus through baptism and death. He's really making a, a really encouraging statement. He's saying that just like Jesus overcame death, by subjecting himself to it and then rising up from the grave, we are meant to identify with this first part, that the old way of thinking and behaving is something that we're no longer loyal to. It's something that we no longer have to give our authority to. So the first major encouragement of baptism is that it symbolizes and documents that our former old loyalties to sin and self-defeating behavior are dead. We don't have to obey them anymore. Does anybody know who this is? This is the Iron Sheik, okay? This was a wrestler from the 1980s, and he has a story that's going to help us understand this principle. In the 1980s, he generated incredible engagement from the crowd by pretending that he loved Iran and that he hated America. And in the 1980s, you take an arena full of factory workers, you start talking about how much you love Iran. I mean, we were uh, enemies with that country for over two decades, very hostile relations. You better believe everybody's going to be throwing batteries and booing and want to see that guy get beat up. The interesting part of the story is that uh, that's professional wrestling, which isn't real, uh, but <laughs> this man, Hussein Khosro Ali Bazir, was actually born in Iran. He grew up an Iranian citizen. And he just narrowly missed a spot on the 1968 Olympic team for Iran as an Olympic amateur wrestler. Uh, he was trying to make the next Olympics. He returned home to Iran. Uh, he actually became a bodyguard for the Shah when there was still a monarchy in Iran. So he was a very prominent citizen of Iran. But then in 1979, the Shah was overthrown by Islamic extremists. Khosro feared for his life. He immigrated to the United States, where he then became a coach for the USA Olympic wrestling team, where he was a coach for the USA American wrestling team for the 1972 games in Munich and the 1976 games in Montreal. I want you guys to contemplate what it would be like in the Olympics, coaching 
the sport that you love, looking across the map at the entity that you used to be loyal to, who became over-controlling, who became domineering, who that you knew you had to defect for the benefit of a better life. He wore a new uniform, he saluted a new flag, he sang a new anthem, and when the Iranian wrestlers had a certain curfew or dietary restrictions and things they were told that they had to say to the press, Khosro didn't have to obey those anymore. He didn't have to follow those restrictions anymore. He was free. He had, he had ended those loyalties and he had new loyalties. It's obviously the same for us. We're told that, that baptism is encouraging because when we go under the water, we're symbolizing that we are now dead to our former life. We're defecting from our sin nature. We no longer have to do things in the way that we used to do things because we've exchanged those. We've defected. We have a new loyalty. So take a moment to contemplate the freedom the baptism is meant to symbolize. If you've been baptized, God wants you to think of that moment of entering the water like a death, like a defection. You no longer have to give in to the impulses or the behaviors that you might regret later. Because baptism is just this beautiful symbol of rebirth, new beginning, exchanged loyalties. There might be somebody here today, I shouldn't say that, I know many of us here today feel trapped in behaviors or patterns that just feel like the things that we've always done, they feel natural. And I just want to encourage you that baptism is meant to symbolize we've had a one-time reset with God. We're dead to the things that used to make sense. We're dead to that, that impulse to always be self-serving. And repentance has brought about a new dynamic. We went under the water. We were brought up out of it. We used to give it to sin because we just didn't know better. But now we've defected. We have new citizenship. We have new loyalties. The old is dead. Is that good news? Yeah. It's good news that baptism is given to us because God wants us to think in those terms. He wants us to feel that we've had that reset. He wants us to think that we've had that fresh start. Please don't go home feeling defeated, that you just are, are, are trapped in the patterns of the last years and years and years. That guy, that Iron Sheik, right? Like he was an Iranian citizen for 30 years. He defected and he found freedom and new loyalties. The same is true for us as represented in baptism. All right, a second encouragement for us from baptism is this. Just like, just like that baptism reminds us that we've, we've died to the old ways of doing things, baptism is a reminder that we've also been raised into a new life. Let's look at what it says in Romans 6, 4-5. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So it's good news that we're, we're no longer loyal to the old self-defeating behaviors that, that we used to just be loyal to. But an even better thing is that now we're raised into a new life. Paul explains that our baptism reminds us that we died like Christ and we rise like Christ. We're brought out of death and we're now in a new state. I want you guys to think for a second. Can you think of a time in your life, spiritual or not, that it seemed like all was lost? It seems like things couldn't get any worse, only for you to surprisingly experience a new beginning. Because that's what baptism is supposed to remind us about. There's a moment in history that's a great illustration of this. It's known as the miracle of Ectradingen. 
Anybody ever heard of that before? I doubt it. All right, let's look at this next picture. So on August 4th, 1908, this guy's name is Count von Zeppelin. He's got a magnificent mustache, doesn't he? Now, you can probably imagine that Count Van Zeppelin invented the what? The Zeppelin, that weird flying airship. On August 4th, 1908, he was attempting to set an endurance record with his fourth airship. The first crashed in a lake before it could take off. The second rose to the appropriate altitude and then immediately crashed into a mountain. Third one was a little bit more successful. And now he's, he's flying his fourth airship, attempting to set an endurance record. He wanted to fly this for 24 hours, nonstop, navigating a pre-charted course. The voyage started off well. I mean, this is 1908, so imagine what it would be like to look up in the sky and see something as big as an ocean liner that's 446 feet long, flying a couple hundred feet above your village. So the newspaper reports say that thousands of people were following this airship just out of amazing curiosity. So the first couple of hours it went well, it was flying exactly on the course that it was supposed to. They started to have engine trouble, uh, so the Count and his eight-man crew had to land the airship and make some repairs to the engine. As they were doing that, as they had it tethered to the ground, a gust of wind pulled the airship into the air, flew it a half mile out of the way where it burst into flames because it was filled with hydrogen, which is extremely flammable. So here's where the story is really beautiful. He was certain he would be labeled a national embarrassment. After all, this was his fourth failure, and there were literally thousands of people there to witness it. As he pushed through the crowd to examine the wreckage of his great failure, all of a sudden the crowd started to sing the German national anthem. They were so inspired to see this, this zany inventor have a little bit of success. I mean, it's 1908 and you saw something fly through a pre-charted course for, for a couple hours. So what could have been a moment of great failure and embarrassment turned into a moment of incredible national pride. Within the next 24 hours, there was such a swell of support through German media and German corporations that six million marks were donated for his next airship. That's the equivalent today of $30 million. Could you imagine the feeling of going towards your greatest failure only 24 hours to just have later have limitless possibilities before you? What's so beautiful about repentance is that it's a failure that leads to new life. What we're being told here in baptism is that we contemplate the ways that we've disobeyed God. We contemplate the regrettable things that we've done. And that focus on our failure, that up-close overlapping with our failure, then brings us to beautiful new life and beautiful new spiritual possibilities. I want us to take a moment to just emote for a second. Turn on your dried-up, shriveled Montana emotions, okay? The New Testament tells us that repentance leads to rebirth and new possibilities. When we consider what we've done wrong, the disobedience that we've acted out, new, God brings us to a place of new life and new possibilities. That's another beautiful component of baptism. God doesn't want us to wallow in our failure. He wants us to understand that through that repentance and regret and remorse and death, we're now risen up to a new state 
a new energy, a new a new place with God. All right. There's one more thing that I want to mention. One more thing from Romans 6.4 that I believe is a, a beautiful encouragement for anyone who's been baptized or anybody who's contemplating baptism. And our third and final encouragement is this. Baptism is a reminder that believers have access to a new power. Listen to what it says just very quickly at the end of verse 4 here. We therefore were baptized, buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. There is a new power available to Christians who have repented and believed and reset and started new with God. When Paul says we're raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, he's referring to this really encouraging truth that our old power or impulses that used to define us, we're no longer living by that power. And Paul expands on this in a couple other places. Probably the best one is in Galatians 5, in verses 19 to 21. Paul gives kind of a dirty list of the markers or the characteristics of that old power that we used to live by. Don't raise your hand, don't nudge the person next to you, but just think to yourself, if these are ever the markers or the milestones or the power that you make decisions by. And that list includes sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, forming factions, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition. I'll just be honest and I'll be vulnerable. Those are all impulses or markers or characteristics of choices that I sometimes make. And just like Paul says, those are the things on those lists. It brings death. It brings relational estrangement. If you continually make those choices, it repulses people away from you. It repulses people away from me. According to Paul, that's the old power that used to characterize the way that we make decisions and the things that we gravitate towards. But then in Galatians 5, 22 to 25, he gives a new list which gives us an indication of the markers and the choices and the, the roadmap of, of, of the things that are evident when we're accessing this new power. And that list includes love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the new power that baptism is supposed to remind us and now characterizes our decisions and our behaviors and our impulses. And, and, and more so than just switching from one, one side of the line to the next, this passage is implying that, that, the, that God is giving us the help to act with the second list instead of that first list. One final illustration. I've been reading a biography of Thomas Edison, who amazingly has over a thousand inventions to his credit. Does anyone in this room have more than five patents? No? Come on, be Edison. All right. The thing that really stood out to me while reading his biography was how reverential people were towards him in the last decade of his life. So he invented the light, the light bulb in January of 1879, but he didn't pass away until October of 1931. So basically for all the 1920s, he was this old crabby guy who didn't want to do anything but make inventions and take naps. That's all he did for the last 10 years of his life. Continue to make new inventions, 
all, all day long, all night long, and, uh, and take naps. But this guy was so revered throughout the world that President Hoover would stop by his house unannounced and ask to take him out for dinner. He'd be like, no, I'm just going to nap and invent stuff. Uh, that's true. Henry Ford made a multi-million dollar museum that painstakingly recreated every detail of Edison's original laboratories right down to the soil. He actually brought tons of dirt from New Jersey to Detroit so that every single detail of that original laboratory would be authentic, right down to the dirt that you walked on. When the newspapers talked about Edison, they called him the father of light. Isn't that a great nickname? After all, you invented the light bulb. And I think this great reverence was because of the new power that Edison had brought into the world. Think about how differently the world operated after the invention of electric light. Because of the light bulb, people could read comfortably after sunset. You didn't have to like kill a whale to make a, to make a lamp. You could do household chores around the clock. You could get a better look inside that engine you were trying to repair. You could walk safely down a city street at night. You could increase the effectiveness of your factory or your offices. And the list goes on and on. It's really remarkable how much Edison's invention changed the world. That new power brought about that great change. Let's turn on our emotions one more time. And let's think about this third encouraging thing that baptism is meant to encourage us with. We have a new power to live with. When you get crabby, you don't have to flash out in anger. When you're feeling lonely, you don't have to withdraw and turn to some idolatrous form of self-gratification. You don't have to be enslaved to behaviors that you turned to in the past. We live by a new power. The power is the presence and the help of God to turn from that first dirty list to that second beautiful list. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and uh, conclude our service with a final song or two. I just kind of wanted to give a quick introduction this morning, this afternoon, I mean, to three things that are true about baptism. Whether you've been baptized or whether you haven't been baptized, God wants you to know that following Him offers a new start. It offers a reset. It offers an opportunity for you to look back to a specific time where you can say, I'm now dead to the former things that I was loyal to. I've defected. I've now been risen into a new life. I now have a new opportunity. Just when everything seemed like it couldn't get worse, I have new opportunities and new life before me. And if that seems impossible, God is going to help me do it with a new power. Those are three things that the picture or the symbolism of baptism are meant to encourage us with. If you've been baptized in the past, the next time you feel discouraged, I hope you think back to these three things and understand that Romans 6, 1-4 is trying to encourage you with those three resets, those three new things. And if you haven't been baptized, I just want to throw out there that God wants you to make a new start. Nothing magical happens. It's just a reset or a restart so that you can look back to the time that those three things were, of course, true in your life. Thank you for your attention. Let's conclude with the final.